Welcome to another episode of Rising Queen. I'm Ashley. And I'm Sarah. And we're happy to be hey, with you Sarah. Thursday. I know. It's a really nice time to, to connect and, and talk to people, of course, that you, that you love right now. And I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to see you too. We are dealing with a lot this week, and so is our province and our country. If we didn't already have it hard enough as Nova Scotians and Canadians going through COVID and all the other hardships, it's been a really, really tragic weeks. Our hearts are very sad and broken. The events that unfolded on the weekend and throughout the week um, are really hard to even understand, and we just want to extend our sincerest and deepest condolences to all the families and all those affected by uh, the horrific events. It's been a very intense week for Ashley and I and kind of everyone in our community and in Nova Scotia. Um, This week, we had a mass shooting in our community, which is insane and something that's just so not like something we experience in Canada at all, let alone in a small town and in a small province. Um, and it was the biggest mass shooting in Canadian history. So it's kind of been a very intense Mm -hmm. week for many people. And it's especially hard at these times when you can usually lean on your neighbors and your community. People in Nova Scotia love getting together and helping out people, delivering food and and just hugging and embracing each other. But of course, it's a bit more difficult for everyone to do that right now. And and especially for those families and victims and people really feeling this pain, our heart just really goes out to them at this difficult time. Yeah, it's such a... It's hard to even believe the headlines or the news stories when you see them. I mean... It just doesn't happen around here. And I think that there's a lot of other uh, provinces and states and communities that have felt this in small areas, but you never think it will happen here. Yeah. And actually, as you're saying that, I was kind of feeling guilty, like a little bit that I'm like, oh, that would only happen somewhere else. And I I feel bad almost like putting that on other places. But Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it was insane to experience that. And to be honest, for the first time in my life, on Sunday when kind of everything was happening, it was the first time in my life I've ever felt like afraid in our home. And we were actually like, okay, we need to make sure everything's locked. Like no one's going Mm -hmm. outside where I called all my family and was like, don't go outside. Like everyone stay in. Uh, I've never experienced that before. Yeah. It's a pretty scary feeling. And I think that it's, I don't know, it's just a really weird time and I I think it's confusing why did it happen there's just so many questions that people have did mental health play a big part of this why did people do those things I don't think sadly we'll ever get that evidence that will make us feel better even if we had it I don't think it it will help it only as time goes by we'll feel better but it's something that we uh, we are going through right now yeah, and for all of our listeners out there, especially uh, any of the Nova Scotians, we're you know we know it can be a hard time to grieve, and you might be experiencing this in different ways because we can't all get together, as Ashley said, and hug and and um, support each other. But we are here for you, and we are sending out prayers. And an idea from Verena Rizk, who was on our show a few episodes ago. Uh, she's actually offered to say prayers for those. So if anyone wants us to say some prayers for you, please reach out to us. We'd be super happy to do that and support each other whichever way we can right now. 
And it's more important than ever to connect, even though you may know Sarah and I, you may not. Um, send us an email, connect with us through Instagram, wherever you want. Just reach out if there's anything we can do or any way we can help you. We will this, pray. This is a time to connect. Everyone. Yeah, let's not forget that. That's important to lean on each other right now. Actually, in my morning meditation, Ash, I've been doing a moment. I've just recently added this where I've been like sending out high vibes and like love and Oh, I always do prayers that. to the world right now. I'm like, this is just for the universe, for everyone in the world. And then also mm-hmm. for Nova Scotia right now, which has been really, I've been enjoying that practice. It's kind of a nice thing to pair with gratitude because that's something mm-hmm. I have a note on my bedside table that just says three points. It's like, be thankful, be grateful and think about others. So I find even if you're not into meditation or praying, just be mindful for a few minutes each day of of those things or whatever is important to you, I think can kind of put you in a nice mindset and perspective, especially now. But I'm really excited for this episode though. Tyler Simmons, we have on Sarah, who is an absolutely a lovely human being. Oh, a divine soul. I loved when you said that. He is a lovely human being. Tyler Simmons, he is an artist here locally in Nova Scotia. And a perfect episode, actually, because we do talk a lot about uh, mental health in this episode. And it really, how we got onto the topic was Tyler shared with us a lot about toxic masculinity. And so this was a totally new topic for Ash and I. And so interesting to kind of learn about and how growing up with kind of those ideals of what is masculine, you know, it it created this weird kind of mental health struggle. And Tyler shares that experience with us and really how he turned that into his own superpower to actually face his fears and become who he wanted to be as an artist and as a public speaker. And so he shares that whole journey with us and really kind of the things that helped him. So we actually end up talking a lot about meditation and stoicism. And of course, he shares with us all of his new projects. So he's working on some really cool projects right now. He's got a play coming out later this year uh, for 48 Psychosis, which sounds amazing. And then he's working on a new document, a new document, a new document. Probably that (laughs) too. (laughs) What is it? Documentary. Documentary. (laughs) Something you can watch. (laughs) Yes. Something you can watch on environmental racism. So these are actually topics that just were totally new for us. Um, and one project that Tyler has just launched, which is super valuable at this time, it's called The Stillness is the Key. And you can check that out at stillnessiskey.com. But it's a lot of like mindfulness and meditation resources. The meditations are friggin' beautiful. He is a true creator. And as you said, he, he's working on these projects, but I feel like he is so authentic to what he's creating, just meeting him and talking to him like, wow, this this guy, he, he's special. And I, I know that he is going to continue to help people through all his projects, which is so amazing. He was lovely. You can so relate to that feeling of like knowing who you want to be, but not being there yet. It creates that like that anxiety or that pull inside of you. hundred percent. I was experiencing that lately, Sarah, where I just had all these feelings and frustrations and time to think. And that's (laughs) hard for people that do experience anxiety and, and not understanding why you're here and you're not here or you're doing something versus what you thought you'd be doing. It's hard. And I think once you just accept it and realize it's all part of the journey and that, 
you need to be patient and, and just respect what's happening. And it's really hard to do, but I think that helps kind of soothe some of the the mm-hmm. thoughts that you have. Good word. I actually had like a mini breakthrough moment. I mean, I was just meditating or journaling or something, but it was this really interesting thing that I realized a lot of the stress or anxiety that sometimes I feel when it comes up is because I'm holding myself to an expectation that I would have set at a different time frame of like, I want to be here now. Like I want my life mm-hmm. to look like this. I want a house right now. I want a family right now, all these things. And I'm like, those aren't real expectations. Like I'm not a failure because I don't have those things, but it's interesting when you feel like that's what you're rushing towards. And then when I actually paused, I was like, that's not actually what I want right now, but it is like, that was a lot of maybe not feeling like I was where I wanted to be. And it wasn't even something that I truly want in my life right now. It was just like this old idea that I kept with mm-hmm. me for so long. And society and all these external factors, I think, do kind of get in our head. And I think that that's just something you see day to day or you hear and they do affect us, even though they may not be important to us to some extent. And I think even Tyler talking about toxic masculinity, when I first heard that term, when we talked to Verena Riz, I didn't know. I thought, what the hell does that mean? Like, I just (laughs) didn't understand the concept. But now that We've researched it and talked with Tyler about it and how um, pushing all these things in is is essentially, you know, all these different emotions that he wasn't meant to feel and and believe. That's what's really hurtful and can be really damaging to men and women because I think that happens with women as well. We think that we're supposed to be doing whatever it is or be to a certain place in our lives and we kind of push all those things aside and down and then they just erupt one day and you're like, what the hell am I doing? But it's a hard practice to understand what everything means and why you need to take time for you like meditating. And I think it's something I've realized that I thought was almost like a buzzword and a thing and a, and like a trend. But when you actually do it, Sarah, well, you know, it fucking works so much. <laughs> One of the things that I think for a lot of people and for me included, for you included, like this can feel like a super intense time while we're inside because of coronavirus. But like I believe, and this is a personally me opinion, it's not saying that this is a truth that, you know, this time is really meant for us to kind of deal with some of our shit. And like, it is a bit of a gift that we've actually been forced to slow down. And, but like, now you have to face that shit and like those dark things inside of you that are uncomfortable to feel. And so it can make this time really intense, but it's important to actually do that work. And it, and it's good for your soul. It's good for your mental health. It's good for you as a human. And I think the biggest thing is finding out the things that help you through that, whether it's meditation or like going for walks without music and just kind of like being aware and being present or journaling. Uh, you can, you know, it's not mm. always a comfortable thing, but it can feel great when you do move through some of those things. Absolutely. And I started experiencing some of the same things I've been experiencing lately. I'd say in my early 20s of just kind of mind racing, feeling uncomfortable, nauseous at times, overwhelmed for no reason. Hmm. And when I reflect back on that, and I have, and I think it helps to kind of understand what triggers you and why certain things are happening and anxieties higher at certain times. And it was because it was at a point in my life when I wanted to make a change and make a career change. And I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing or what I wanted to do next. It was a complete 
yeah, it was so much confusion and uncertainty. So I feel like now everyone's, as you said, experiencing that right now. And I think that that's okay. And it is good to actually understand and think about what's important and what isn't. Because if there's factors like you said that aren't important, but your body's all confused in your mind, it's good to just like address those and let them go and just move on and focus on something else. Yeah. And I think right now is a time when different things come up for people. Like for some people, you'll be feeling anxiety. For other people, it's like you're feeling lonely or like mm-hmm. wanting a partner or you're feeling stressed about work. And and it's just kind of getting to know, you know, being aware of what's creating any of that kind of intensity for you. And, and, I, and I don't think it's easy. And I don't think there's just like a magic overnight cure. So if you want to embrace like Sarah and I are in the meditation practices, It's not going to be easy the first few times. It wasn't for me. Just kind of slowly get into it. Use some apps and do it five minutes, 10 minutes every day. We could do a team meditation. Totally. Because now that I can do it, Sarah, before I couldn't do it. My mind was going. And if this happens to you, it's completely normal, especially if you are feeling anxious to actually just like embrace your thoughts and let them kind of come and go and not try and play into every thought that comes into your head. But now when I do it, I feel like I just had like this, I don't even know, I don't want to say nap, but I just feel so relaxed that I just feel so good. (laughs) It's the weirdest thing. I love it. I love it. Shout outs to meditation. We'll do a group meditation online if anyone wants to join. Uh, One thing I do want to shout out before we dive into this episode, we do talk about toxic masculinity kind of throughout it. And when we had this episode, I just felt so blessed that I have so many fantastic men in my life who are really in touch with their emotions and, you know, have been doing a lot of work to kind of open themselves up and be who who they truly are and, and kind of step out of some of the, you know, stereotypical macho masculine identities. And I Big shout outs to all of them, including your husband, Jeff Ashley. We are hugging you. We're hugging all virtually. of the amazing men in our life. And we're so grateful for yes. you. Yes, Keep leading the way. So, Ash, should we dive into the goodness? I think we should. All right. We want to welcome Tyler Simmons to the virtual Rival and Queen podcast studio. So welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight, Tyler. Thank you so much for having me. You are such a man of many, many talents. So Sarah and I are both really excited to dive into so many different topics with you. But firstly, we kind of want to know how has life been since this pandemic? How are you kind of managing your day to day? It's been different stages. At first, it was panic, panic, panic. What's happening? Is the world ending? Um, Anxiety was through the roof. And that lasted for a while. And then it turned into, oh, I'm not having to go into my workplace. (laughs) Maybe I can just work on my own projects. And maybe this can be a time for me to be more still and meditate and just connect deeper with myself that's the stage that it stayed at and it feels it almost feels like this rebirth that i'm going through right now oh i love that i think i've been in that same kind of stage as you're describing yeah well we're super happy to have you here today tyler um we first connected with you through verena rizk who was on our show a few months ago 
that uh, episode was amazing. We love yeah. That. It was so nice. And when we had her on, she actually was the one who really introduced us to this topic of toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. which is how we connected with you. And it was something that we wanted to learn a lot more about and really understand kind of the work that you do in this space. So could you actually introduce us to this concept and tell us a little bit about what toxic masculinity is? Well, to me, well, toxic masculinity, I feel it's what society generally tells men subconsciously and a lot of times not subconsciously that we're supposed to be like they tell us that we're supposed to be macho um like these guys that don't cry um to not show emotion not be vulnerable and a lot of guys grew up feeling like we couldn't be emotional we couldn't be vulnerable and then we find ourselves when we're older and we want to be in like a romantic relationship or even relationship with friends. And we don't know how to express ourselves in a healthy way. It's, um, it's why a lot of men will react with anger when that reaction really should, could be sadness. Like if something, even with my life um there have been times where really sad things have happened with me in friendships or relationships and then automatically i go straight to anger because i don't know how to do the i don't know how to process that sadness i don't know Mm. how to cry in front of people i i know this stuff now but my entire life up until like a few years ago it was, oh, I feel this uncomfortable sadness within me. I'm going to get mad and I'm going to lash out, which isn't healthy at all and damages a lot of friendships and relationships. And when I talk about toxic masculinity, I try to let people know that it's not, I'm not saying that being masculine is toxic. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's okay to, like, it's good to be masculine. It's good to be feminine. It's, we need both. Um, But what toxic masculinity is, is suppressing those feelings because you think that you're supposed to be this certain way that society keeps telling us that we're supposed to be. Yeah, like the, I think we looked up a definition, I think suppressing emotions is like number one, but also like maintaining an appearance. Yeah, that too. And it's, and being a black man from mm-hmm. a black man with mental illness and a black man from North Preston, uh, it's, it was really tough for me because I had these moments where I was like, oh, I have to make sure people don't think that I'm soft. (laughs) I have Mm -hmm. to make sure that people don't think that I'm crazy because of the mental illness thing and keep it together so much. And it gets so exhausting. And at one point in my life, around the age of 26 is when I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be myself. 
And if I need to cry, I'm gonna cry. If I'm if I feel hurt by something, I'm gonna express it. If I wanna dress a certain way, I'm gonna do it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> was there a moment in time when that actually hit you? You said a few years ago when you realized this is kind of um, you know, the wrong way or the the, the way you when I when I really realized that that was going on was when I was 26 and I'm 30 now. Um, I didn't really know what to call it until a couple of years ago. But when I was 26 is when I was, I was just getting over a lot of tragedy in my life um, and a lot of break, a breakup and a lot of, um, really hard times. Um, I was in a deep depression Mm -hmm. and a part of me was like, do I want to stay here? Like, do I want to stay here on earth and stay alive? And um, my answer, this was, and I had this thought a few times in my twenties, I was thinking, oh, do I actually want to stay here? But this time it was different. It was, I felt it so deeply that I just didn't fit in, in the world. Mm. And although it was a really, really dark time in my life, it definitely brought out the brightest moments of my life because it was this mentality of, okay, if I'm going to stay here, I'm going to become the best person that I can be. And I'm just, I'm going to live every single day like it's the last. I'm going to tell people I love them if I love them. I'm going to tell people that I'm sorry. I'm going to own up to my shit. I'm going to, I'm going to just be accountable and I'm going to be authentic. And that was when everything changed. Mm, That's really nice. It almost sounds like too that you were, you know, we can talk about this more, but obviously you were in a dark time if that's what you were kind of considering. And it sounds a little like that you were kind of at the position where you're like, well, this isn't going to work. Like, you know what the alternative is at that point. Yeah. Well, you probably just don't feel like you're being your true authentic self because all those things you're thinking and feeling just keep getting pushed down because you don't feel like you have the space to, to express them. Exactly. I would actually just let, I would let people say things to me and they would really affect me. Um, This is one of the big things that I had to change about myself. They would really affect me, but I would never tell people. And I realized just how much that was damaging me. Um, And then I just became this person that's like, hey, if something is bothering me or if somebody does something I don't like there's this thing called boundaries and (laughs) I need to start using those toxic masculinity is kind of like in some regards this hyper masculine ideal that's probably like you said that macho side Uh, so as you went Uh through this experience like if that was what you were exposed to when you were young. What was kind of the unfolding of actually starting to maybe feel or recognize your emotions? It was tough, but I 
I was so committed to being vulnerable and being authentic in finding out who I truly was. Um, at this point in my life, around 25, 26, I was meditating every single day. I was doing yoga every single day and I was studying Taoism. I was really intensely just trying to figure out who I was. Um, and it was kind of like I knew who I was, but how do I let myself be the person that I know I mm. truly am? And it was hard. It was really hard. Um, there were times where I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put the mask back on because this is too tough. And people around me, <laughs> they don't get it. That's what I would think in the past. And mm. After meditating and after reading so much about my emotions and figuring out my emotions, like I tell people that I use meditation sort of as this experience to learn more about myself. And I just kept learning so much more about myself. And I kind of had to be like, I deserve I deserve to be my authentic self. Mm. I, I don't care if people don't like it. <laughs> I have to be who I am. And I had, to, I had to just keep that mentality of people aren't, I'm, it's impossible for me to make everybody happy. So I'm just going to have to just be myself. And I know that that's going to make me happy. As you were going through this, you, you know, you kind of talked about like you grew up and you didn't have a lot of guidance or role models mm -hmm. kind of showing you other ways than toxic masculinity. When you were going through this transition, like, were you able to find role, role models or look to certain men? I've realized that there was this thing that I could do. I could see like most men they have that healthy masculinity in them. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's just hard for them to bring it out. And I think about my dad. My dad is very healthy with his masculinity. And I just didn't realize it in the past, how healthy with his masculinity he was. And, and maybe a part of that was because I was being so influenced by music and TV and movies and all of these other things, it was really hard to see role models that were displaying healthy masculinity, but there was my dad <laughs> who was right there. And I just had to look at it in a different way um, instead of thinking, oh, that's just my dad. And, you know, parents can be annoying and stuff. <laughs> like I had to really sit back and think, oh, my dad is different. Like, um, and maybe that's why I want to be more healthy with my masculinity because he's that way too. But, and besides him, it was, there was actually um, a point of my life where I got really into Nirvana. And beforehand, I wasn't into Nirvana at all. Uh, but, I got really into Nirvana, and that's all that I listened to. 
And it was because I read um, Kurt Cobain's journals. Yeah. And he, in my opinion, this was somebody who was just so vulnerable and so authentic and so in touch with his emotions. But unfortunately, he felt that the world was too much for him. And Mm. that's why things ended up the way that they did. And um, I remember even when I was reading that and thinking, I relate so much to this man. It's almost creepy how much I relate to him. Um, And it made me think. I was like, I have to make sure I don't let this world do to me what it did to him. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. What a revelation that would have been. Yeah. It's so interesting what's coming to mind when we're talking about this topic is children, specifically little boys, as you mm. hear it time and time and time again, like, don't wear that or don't play with that or you shouldn't like that because that's for girls. And that is something now, this day and age, that absolutely infuriates me me too yeah you just start so young yeah i was growing up i was into things that people in my own family didn't know that i was into because i just would hide it i was and i was hiding things like theater <laughs> i was hiding things like contemporary dance and paintings, abstract painting, because I thought in my mind when I was a kid that I wasn't supposed to be into that stuff. I Mm. thought that I was just supposed to be watching sports, playing sports and playing outside and fighting with my friends all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Were you even hiding that from your parents? Yeah. (laughs) Um, At a certain point, my mom she knew about how I was really into the arts and then my dad found out and they didn't really say anything about it. They just, I don't know, they were just like, oh, that's cool. (laughs) Um, So I don't know why I was hiding it. I was mainly just hiding it because of these beliefs that I grew up with. that you kind of adopt subconsciously. Like, it's interesting because you don't even realize where these are coming from, but you felt that. Yeah. That wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. It sounds like your parents were pretty understanding, I guess, of your interests at that time, where I think even now there's parents even generations later that still don't accept if kids are into, whether it be art or theater and stuff, which is really, it's really shitty. Yeah, and... There were times where, like, I've had those conversations with my parents, like, them saying things like, oh, art? Like, but that's a hobby. Like, know that you don't get paid from this stuff. And and I'm like, no, I'm going to. And <laughs> that I was like that when I was really young. I would just, <laughs> because I just... I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. Mm. And I remember countless times saying to my mom things like, no, I have to do these things. It's not an option for me. Like, mm. <laughs> I need to do them. And I felt that way because 
they brought me so much comfort. It made me feel like I was alive when I would just create things and feel like I'm in my own little world where I could make something and then show it to people and they get excited. It, it just made me feel so much purpose. And that like expansive flow. Oh, yeah. I can feel it when you're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's such an, like, that's an interesting kind of concept that you guys are both touching on because I'm very fortunate. I, I love, I love my parents. Um, but I was always brought up with like, a, we could do whatever we wanted. Like, it was like, whatever you were, my sister and I are both girls. So maybe that's just like part of being a fee, like a female, but I didn't realize until later in life how empowering that is on my mindset and even my sister's mindset and how we think about our careers and stuff. And part of that was probably that my mother did grow up focused on arts and things like that. And like you're saying, that's not the career path. That's that's not a great career path. Like that's the mindset you're told. And I think for her, it was so important for that not to be what she passed on to us. But you don't, I think, realize how subconsciously those stories and beliefs and things your parents tell you really affect you through life. Like I've realized later in life what a gift it is to truly have been raised that way. Yeah. And there was a time of my life where I really remember my dad saying certain things to me. We, um, we worked at the QE2 together (laughs) at one point and he would always drive me into work and stuff. And I didn't like working there at all. (laughs) Um, And there was a moment where I remember him saying to me, yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna work here for long. You, you're gonna do your thing. You're gonna do your film and these things that you love to do. And it felt so good because he felt like he meant it when he said this, he really believed that Mm. I was going to do these things. And not long after he said that, I remember I left that job and I just bought a camera (laughs) and I just took it on like head first. I, um, I started to, to be a photographer at first and with no training, uh, but <laughs> but it was fun. And I did some fashion shoots and stuff like that. And then I discovered the video function on my camera and everything changed. I started doing music videos. I started shooting weddings. Um, and once I started doing those things, I got really confident and I was like, okay, this is the path that I need to take. That's so nice. It must have been, feel sorry, so good to have been seen by your dad and then being able to take that, yeah. that step naturally and, and kind of find that alignment of passion. It yeah. makes me so happy. Yeah, it felt so good. Um, it still feels really good when, even when I have conversations with him and I'm talking about the different projects that I'm working on and he's so interested in them. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. That's awesome. Oh, so empowering. I freaking love that. So on this journey, as you kind of started getting into the film and things like that, is this when your 
concept of, you started to become aware of this concept of toxic masculinity and started to do work um, around it? It was, at this time, I was, I was working on, I was trying to do work on that without really knowing that it was called toxic masculinity. Um, I was really just trying to not be depressed and to be happier and to be less anxious and to stop worrying so much about what people think of me. And even if you were to like ask my brothers or my parents, my bedroom, it, I had like these psychology books all over. <laughs> um, I was like a mad scientist in my bedroom, just trying to figure out how to feel better. Um, I've realized that meditation was so helpful for me. And then I started to learn about Buddhism and Taoism and stillness. I started to see the benefit of being still. Um, and things started to change. It started to make me think differently. And I started to think, oh, I can, oh, I'm getting better. I started to get better things started to happen in different stages. It was like, oh, I'm starting to get better. I'm starting to feel empowered because I'm being myself now. Um, and it felt so cool. <laughs> and then I remember saying to my mom, I, was, I said to her, and this was when things got really rough at one point. I said to my mom, I just blurted these things out. I said, I'm going to do a TED talk. <laughs> I'm going to become a filmmaker. I'm going to be successful at all these things. I'm going to be a public speaker. I'm going to face these fears of mine. And the same with her. She really believed when I said these things, which made me feel so much more confident. And that was when everything just started happening because my confidence just grew so much from, I think a big part of it was from my parents showing me how much they believe in me. Mm. And I did my first talk, I remember. And that was like my first, it was almost like um, I was leaving like my bat cave and coming out like Batman. Like I was, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I was like, okay, it's my time to shine. <laughs> I emailed these people who were doing a conference and I never did a talk before. <laughs> and I told them, yeah, I talk about, I do talks on mental health. <laughs> Didn't do it in my life. Last, the only time I did a talk um, before that was in junior high and I blacked out. <laughs> because I was so nervous. Naturally. <laughs> but you had they, the qualifications. Yeah. Uh, but they um, they told me to come and I got there and there were like a hundred people there. Yeah. And I was terrified. <laughs> and I didn't write anything down. Uh, but I did it. And afterwards, and even during like looking at the people while I was talking, I was just, I remember standing up there and thinking, I just need to be honest. I just need to be myself. That's mm -hmm. all that I need to do. And 
they were so engaged and people thanked me afterwards and I, my confidence just kept growing and I just felt like I was on the right path. Oh, that's so awesome. That sounds like such a, it would be easy for you to speak about that. Like you just said, you're just being yourself. This is what you've experienced firsthand prepared or not. You can just get up there and, and be yourself. That's awesome. This sounds like it was a big milestone and turning point for you, Tyler. What was, can you tell us a little bit about like what the before really was for you and how you got yourself up to that point where you were able to talk on a stage? Yeah, I definitely had to go to some dark places. Um, It was a really, I went through some really tough times um, with my mental health, um, really deep depression and the points of the points of my life my early 20s there were a lot of moments where I thought about ending my life and I came across this book life without limits and I was reading this book the author of this book has no limbs he has this great life (laughs) And he goes around speaking to tons of people about how he lives a great life and how he doesn't need limbs and he's okay with it. (laughs) And I started to think about depression that I felt always held me back and how I felt like I couldn't do certain things like public speak because of my social anxiety, how I felt like... I wouldn't even be great at creating a film because I felt like I wasn't good at communicating with my peers. So I would always think, oh, I have to do everything by myself. Um, In reading this book, he really showed me, you can really just do whatever you want to do. And that book helped me a lot in my life. It's interesting because I feel like when we're young, we're almost trained in all of these, like even if you think about school, we're trained to do things the right way or trained to get approval for things. And then you get out into life and you're looking for those structures for approval. And is this okay? Is this the right next step? But like you're saying, there there is no one around to give Mm -hmm. you approval. Like you, and you really, truly, you can't seek it outside of yourself, but that's almost like a lesson everyone has to kind of learn somehow (laughs) yeah and when I realized that I was yeah when I realized that it was a lot of it was from that book um he would talk about how he would get bullied all of the time um when he was a kid and how he felt that he couldn't live a normal life because he didn't have limbs um Mm. but then he got to the stage of his life where he thought, wait, why do I feel this way? Like, is there someone telling me that I can't live the life that I want to live? Like, and what's a normal life? Like, maybe I can create this cool, different life. So he actually would, he like created these things um, to help him get dressed and stuff. And these, um, 
just really cool things, how to live in a different way than most people. And it's, and make it really cool. Hmm. You talked about sitting in your room with all these books, trying to research, doing meditation, I guess to, to make yourself feel better and kind of get yourself back to what you thought was normal Tyler. Yeah. Was there kind of an aha moment that happened that you realized, oh, I, this is helping or this is working? Yes, there was. <laughs> it just came to my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had this huge fear of failure. And I did this thing where I was studying a ton of people and a lot of it, they were artists that I loved, like John michel Basquiat and um, even Donald Glover and stuff like that. And I would look at even Donald Glover, for instance, I remember I would look at his really, really early work and I would think this isn't the greatest. Uh, <laughs> actually, this is horrible. <laughs> and then I would watch interviews of him talking about his creative process. And the thing that I learned about him and a lot of other really successful artists is that they, like the term, the thought of failure they don't even think that it's possible to fail. Like fail, failing isn't even a word to them. <laughs> They're just like, oh, people didn't like it this time. I'm gonna do it again and I'm gonna be better. Mm. And once I learned that, I was like, oh, I'm gonna be a public speaker. I'm gonna be a filmmaker. I'm gonna be this, that, I'm gonna write a book. Like I was like, oh, I can just keep doing these things and eventually I'm going to get good at them. And that was definitely my aha moment. <laughs> yeah. If you're willing to be crap at something, yeah, you can actually get good at it. Yeah. I think um, I just re- listened to a podcast on this too. Brene Brown talks about that. She start when she started her podcast, that was like her thing holding her back was she was afraid of being bad. I think it's called, Frig, I'm looking it up right now she refers to as like FFTs and it's something about fuck ups or something like that. But that's totally natural. It's so, I don't know. You feel so exposed and and you don't Mm -hmm. want to be criticized. But I think if you kind of look at it from that light, it probably helps you know, Oh, that didn't turn out, whatever. That's just part of, you know, it helps you learn so much. Um, I've learned so much from messing up and, I think a big part of mindfulness helped me with that too, because um, once I started getting into, when I started getting really deep into um, the arts and public speaking, I was already meditating a lot and I was already learning about Taoism and the thought of not judging your thoughts. So I got to this point where or, or knowing that you are having these unpleasant um, thoughts, but just not judging them and noticing that they're there, but not saying, oh, I suck. Why do I feel this way? Just, oh, I feel this way. It's going to pass. 
And hmm. that actually turned into a lot of the creative projects too, because I was having moments where I would make something and sometimes I didn't even, I didn't like the outcome that much, but instead of me beating myself up about it, I would sit back and I would think, okay, people are telling me that they really love this. I don't really like it that much. <laughs> Let me just actually figure out how I can make myself like my own work so much. And it became my creative process. Like I'm not really thinking too much about, oh, what are other people going to think about this? People are going to think that I'm this or that. I am just like... I just need to do what feels right. And I always like my work and I always like other people's work when it's genuine and when I know that they really put their heart into it. And that's really like my creative process. How much of my heart and soul can I put into this? More about the process than the outcome. Yeah. Mm. I think if you listen to... (laughs) Every negative thing we said about ourselves or other people said, we'd paralyze ourselves with not doing anything. And I think that happens. I know even when Sarah and I started this podcast, I'm happy we were both equally willing to just dive in and do it because if we weren't aligned on that level, we probably would have just never done it. We would have held ourselves back with fear and and just doubt, but uh, it definitely, you have to go for it. Yeah. And I think we all go through that um, because I've definitely had a lot of moments where I thought, oh, I'm, there's no way I'm doing this. I'm getting in front of 10,000 people for a wee day. Like that, actually, <laughs> that was actually my thought the day of speaking at wee day. I, <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, wait, what am I doing right now? <laughs> am I crazy? <laughs> Um, but I just had to dive in. I, I thought I had to go back to that place where I began, where it was like, if it's right in my heart, that's all that matters. I can mess up on stage. I can fall. But if I go out there with the right intention in really wanting to help people, I did what I had to do. Yeah. When you're talking in front of these groups, Tyler, and like at We Day and things like that, what is like the message that you are wanting to impart to people? Mainly, I just, I think my main thing when I do talks now, if it's not, um, if it's not on a specific thing like toxic masculinity or mindfulness, and it's really just me coming in and talking to inspire people. My main thing is we're all good enough. And I just stand in front of people and I let them know you're good enough because look at me. <laughs> like I deal with these doubts. I deal with fear. I am usually terrified before every single talk still. Uh, <laughs> I still have social anxiety. I still deal with depression. But 
I do it. And I just let people know, like, you can do it. If I can do it, you can definitely do it. Uh, I'm just somebody that maybe is crazy enough to actually <laughs> jump in front of a ton of people. <laughs> in front of 10,000 people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and share that. Yeah. I was listening to a few of your videos and your TED Talks earlier, just when Sarah and I were doing some research. And something that really stuck out, stuck out in my mind, I have it written down, is that at times you felt like you were a prisoner in your own mind when you were kind of going through those, those dark times and those dark days. And I guess for anyone listening or even for Sarah and I, just to kind of like ex- feel what you experienced, like what did you do to to actually get yourself out of that situation. I think it's just so important to talk to talk about right now because so many people are, are feeling more anxious than usual mm-hmm. because of what's happening and all the uncertainty in the world. It's, it's really important, um, especially right now. It's, and I'm, I have, I've been telling people that I'm worried because I know that there are people who feel trapped right now and there are people who are having unpleasant thoughts and they can't go out and and spend time with people that make them feel comfortable it's it's tough um and i've been i'm i've really been trying my best to just reach out to people um people that i haven't even met (laughs) and just let them know that I'm here if they want to talk um, because I know how hard it can be. Um, But with me, I definitely, I would say meditation helped me. It made me realize that there are so many things on the external. Like we see all of these things. Like right now I'm looking at the laptop. I'm looking at YouTube uh, (laughs) and I can also go inside though. And it's it's not like it's not like I'm able to see things the way that I see them with my eyes open. Um, and it's almost and it's not even really about this seeing thing. It's about just being. It's about realizing how beautiful it is that we are just being and when you're meditating, you can really feel that. You can, there's something deep within us. I don't really know what it is. Some people can call it God. Some people can call it the universe. Um, I like to say it's my soul. <laughs> and I, I can just sit there. I've definitely even um, had people say to me, like, they don't understand how I can sit in one spot for so long because they've been in like the same room with me and I just stayed there in one spot for so long, but I'm so used to it because Mm -hmm. of all of that time that I spent in my room, just being still. And I realized that I don't always have to always physically be moving. There's always something moving within me. There's always, these new things that I can learn within me. It's almost like there's this book, there's this huge book within all of us 
that we that a lot of us just haven't taken the time to notice that it's there and i've i've realized that it's there so i just close my eyes and i wait for the pages to come to me and that is probably the best <laughs> way that i can describe my meditation <laughs> process that's a very like deep and accurate description of <laughs> yeah. i've been trying so hard sarah's a huge meditator she meditates sometimes multiple times a day and i can relate before to not understanding she could just be in the airport and she's like i'm just going to meditate for a bit yeah. um, but i definitely <laughs> suffer from a bit of anxiety and sometimes have really bad darker days than others and mm-hmm. lately it's been bad so i've thought okay there's got to be something to this journaling this meditation like what is it and it's definitely a new journey for me i i'm still working on those skills and trying to condition myself to be quiet and be still because i am always going and moving and i think part of that is to keep myself occupied because you don't want to just kind of be so i need to take a page out of both of your books and really just give it more of a shot. And I think it, it, it will pay off. One of the things actually I just started doing, because uh, it forces you to go a bit deeper in being still, is I always I do always meditate and journal, but I can still cough out sometimes. Like you can still sit on a pillow oh, yeah. and totally just not show off. And then Definitely. and I'm pretty I'm pretty good at catching myself because it is more of a ritual than a routine. And and I try to honor that. But I've recently started again uh, journaling three full pages, whether I'm on a computer or by hand. And I find that's just long enough that I can't just fill three pages with bullshit. Like at some point, realness has to come up of whatever I'm blocked with or whatever is on my mind. Even if I'm like, I'm not actually one to really like vent in a journal, but sometimes if something's bothering me, I will. But like, I can't fill three pages with that. So at some point that insight's going to come through from the internal soul or whatever. And yeah. I've, I've been testing that out again lately. I like that a lot. I'm probably going to try that out. <laughs> I just read a book about it. So um, one thing, and I don't even really have a great question around this. I'm just, it, it's just something that has popped into my mind a little bit as we're t- talking about all of this, you know, mental health toxic masculinity. I think with men and, and Tyler, you can kind of weigh in on this mental health issues tend to not show up until later in life. So when you're out of high school and maybe on your own or you're away at university or, or away from your home, I'm kind of curious about how, like you're so young probably when you're navigating that and just not even realizing that there's something wrong. Yeah. It's um, just not feeling like yourself all of a sudden and probably not even noticing that it's happening. You don't mm-hmm. even know what it, what I, I can remember having anxious moments. I had no idea when I was younger, even sometimes in high school, feeling like I would be sick if I were in like a crowd or feeling trapped. No idea what that was. I thought I just probably had the flu or I was nauseous or something. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. I was so confused. Um, I just thought I was really weird. Uh, I got to, like, through junior high and high school, it was really lonely because 
I would feel these things and I just didn't tell anyone about them. Um, I had many times where I would cry and nobody knew. I would just go home to my room after school and get a cry out and then act like nothing happened. Um, and this was like a consistent thing that happened with me. And then I went to university and I saw, I only did one year at university and I definitely saw um, the toxic masculinity at its peak. Uh, <laughs> and that was when I was like crushing, hazing, I can picture it all yes <laughs> and that was when I was like okay <laughs> I gotta do something about this like this is not me <laughs> um, I was on the football team which also was like toxic masculinity yeah. <laughs> I was low. Um, and I was like I'm nothing like these guys, but I am really good at acting like I am. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of guys, they are acting and they're acting in these ways because they, they want to fit in. They feel like they're supposed to be this way. And that's definitely what I was doing. I was just trying to be this person that I wasn't. And I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. And I remember when I didn't want to do it anymore, I, I had people react to me differently. And it was mainly guys. And I remember, I really remember that guys were reacting to me in a way like, oh, he thinks he's better than us when that was not the case at all. (laughs) I was just trying to be a better human. (laughs) Trying to show up as your actual self. Yeah. I wonder where, in some regards, how like toxic masculinity and feminism meet. Like, I feel like there is a connection in those two. I guess it's just around equality and that ability to actually fully be. Yeah. And (laughs) see, these are things I think about a lot. (laughs) I think about feminism and I think about um, like toxic masculinity and the way that most men, I feel, I feel that a, a good percentage of men, when you would ask them if they're a feminist, they would say, no, I'm not a feminist. <laughs> and then you explain over again what a feminist is, which is somebody who wants equal equal rights for men and women. And they're like, no, I want that. But <laughs> then you're like, oh, but you're not a feminist? That's what a feminist is. <laughs> and um, it's really weird because, because as men, we we know that there are a lot of men in this world who do things that they that do things that we don't agree with and we know that women a lot of women have been hurt by men for men just being assholes and it's a 
really hard pill to swallow for most men that, oh, we're a part of this group that is seen to treat this other group as lesser. And, and I, I definitely remember feeling that when I was in my early 20s and feeling guilty. And then it becomes this thing where I was like, oh, then I have to save women. But then I was like, wait. <laughs> did you discuss not, that with any women? I sure did. <laughs> and they were like, um, Tyler. And then you were like, all right, let me rethink. <laughs> and yeah, they were like, um, no, that's, you are saying that you want to be better. Like, that's not how you're better. Like, what are you, no, you want to save us? Like, <laughs> we don't need something. <laughs> yeah. And, um, because it's a hard process. It's like, once you realize that you've done things that you aren't proud of and you thought in ways that you're not proud of thinking in, and, and the majority of men have, <laughs> like, and if we have a heart, we're gonna feel bad about that. Um, and the thing is a lot of us, we will run away from it and not address it. And there's a lot of guys that I know, like we want to address it. We're like, oh no, I messed up in this relationship. I was controlling or I was, I was too closed off. Like things, these things that we really need to sit and think about instead of running away from it and saying, Oh no, she was just crazy because so many guys do that. <laughs> and it's a cop out. It's us not wanting to take any responsibility because we feel like we don't need to, because that's what people with privilege do. They're like, oh, we're privileged. We're good. We don't need to address this thing. Like or explain ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm perspective on that i haven't uh i feel like too as you're saying all these things that a lot of it probably just gets wrapped up in labels like as you describe mm -hmm. the label of feminism and as we're talking about toxic masculinity like that's mm -hmm. not like you every male is not toxic and it's not no it is not you haven't done anything to me or to ash like as women do you know what i mean and that's not as a burden that any one individual should be Definitely. Hearing. Exactly. And that's another thing because we need to we need to remember that toxic masculinity isn't the whole human. Like it's just this thing that like when I still probably I'm I still have toxic things about me. Like toxic. I don't I don't know. But, I mean I definitely do too. Yeah, I think we all do because we're human. And that's the thing. It's like we all have parts of ourselves that aren't the prettiest. <laughs> and 
it's really just about being able to own up to it and get better. Um, Recognize. Because it's not this, it's not like it's this group of healthy masculine men versus toxic masculine men. And I feel like so many people think that that's what it is, but it's not. Both, like we all, we're all in it together. We, men and women, we all have toxic traits. We all, and even the word toxic, I don't like putting that on a human. Mm. <laughs> now I like to just say we all have our shit because we're all human. And yeah. if you don't have shit, I don't trust you because... <laughs> 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 no one's perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's more about finding that path to actually who you are. Mm. Mm. And once you once you take accountability for your shit, you I feel like that's a path to becoming a better person and treating people better and treating yourself better. Totally. God, I love that. Tyler, tell us, so you've, you've alluded to this a bit in our conversation, but you are a filmmaker. Yeah. Right now you've got a few big projects on the go. I do. One of which is a new documentary that you're working on. Mm-hmm. You want to tell us a bit about that one? That is, there's soul in our soil and I'm working with Ingrid Waldron and Jade Tynes on that. Um, Ingrid Waldron, she's a professor at Dalhousie. She does a lot of research on environmental and systematic racism. She actually co-produced There's Something in the Water um, for Ellen Page. And Jade, she is the assistant producer on Digstown. And then I have Paul McCurdy, who's the um, camera guy, who's amazing and just makes things look beautiful. Um, <laughs> and so what, I'm, what we're all doing with this film is we're looking at my life and again, with the whole human thing, like I have so many different aspects of myself. Like we all have so many different aspects of ourselves. And this is me exploring the part of me of growing up in North Preston, a mainly all black community and a community where we've experienced a lot of racism and have been treated differently than a lot of people outside of the community. Um, and we really want to talk about how, how that can affect individuals in the community um, and how much trauma that has caused really. There was a film that came out about the community, I think it was last year, and it showed a side that wasn't something that I wanted to see. Flattering, uh, maybe. Yeah. But um, I felt that that, I felt that that film was, it was what their vision was. And my vision is different from that. I want to, instead of 
instead of people seeing my community as like this place filled with crime and people that do things wrong, like let's peel back layers and figure out even why some of that stuff happens. And um, once I started thinking in that way and wanting to understand that, I kept going back to, oh no, we deal with a lot of racism. Um, we've been through a lot as a community and that needs to be addressed. Could you share, like, obviously this is not something that Ashley and I can relate to you on a firsthand experience, mm-hmm. like straight up. <laughs> can you, oh, two, two white girls. Yeah, like, I came, I grew up in Newfoundland part of the time. <laughs> um, could you share, like, what are some of those examples of what you would have experienced growing up there? One thing that just popped into my head, it's um, when I first applied for a job, I was told never put North Preston on your resume. That was a normal thing to me until my mid twenties. I was just like, oh no, I just am not supposed to put it on my resume. I didn't even stop to think about it because I remember as a kid, even hearing people saying things like, yeah, you're not going to get the job if you put North Preston on the resume. And it's something that still happens. Uh, There's still people in the community who won't put that they're from North Preston on the resume because we believe that people will not give us the the position that we're applying for. And so even just that one thing in growing up, believing it's impossible to get a job if people know where I'm from. That's crazy. It just also like your self-esteem in that, like there's no, how do you feel pride? Like Why you almost you feel like you can be that? proud of where you live. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like, especially with the, the film or documentary you referred to before that didn't show North Preston in a good light, like do you think it just is such a misunderstood place that people just don't really know as much about it. It's a very misunderstood place. It is. With that project, a lot of people from the community um, were a part of it. And since then, I spoke to a lot of them, and it was really good conversation. Um, because I was, I was upset about that film. I didn't want this cycle to continue of Mm -hmm. people like I didn't want the stigma of being from North Preston to just grow more and more and this was me feeling feeling sad for the kids in North Preston and thinking oh my gosh they have to go through life in people referencing this film that's making them making our community out to be this just like crime yeah. message place. And, and probably because it changed. If that's something you experienced and then you're hearing it now, you're probably wondering when, when is someone going to change? Exactly. It's great. So what are you wanting to highlight in your project? Like there's soul in our soil. <clears throat> what I want to highlight is 
that these are good people. And I like to believe that most people are good people. Some people were dealt a bad hand and some people were fed things, these beliefs about themselves. So they felt that living a certain lifestyle was the only way that they could live because people made them believe that they could never work a regular job or couldn't get a job. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And um, because a lot of the blame goes on North Preston. It goes on the people of North Preston. And this is me just me just putting this film out there and talking about this stuff. I'm just like, wait, let's hold on a second. (laughs) Instead of putting the blame on North Preston and the people of North Preston, are we going to think about the people who are making us feel like we can't get the jobs? Are we going to talk about the people who don't come into the community because they've, I don't know, they're afraid or when there's nothing to be afraid of because people will just wave at you and want to know who you are if you go there. (laughs) (laughs) Because no one from outside really comes in. Um, But the people who do were people. People are always like, oh, who's that? And they want to get to know you. And uh, and why do you think that is, Tyler? Because I just want to touch on that point. Sarah's from Newfoundland. I'm from the Annapolis Valley. And we both grew up in small towns. But my husband is from Cole Harbor. I knew nothing about North Preston or Preston. Absolutely nothing. And then you kind of hear socially these things and that you shouldn't go there. It's not a safe place. And you're just saying that people don't go there. And is that because these these kind of uh, stories of whatever the reputation is have just kind of continued and people don't know really about the community at all. Yeah, it's, um, media is powerful. Um, mm. It's really powerful and it can cause fear. Um, and things happen in North Preston, but things happen everywhere. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I know for a fact, just from growing up in North Preston, I know that it's not like, oh, crime rates through the roof. No, <laughs> like I've been walking. I used to walk around as a kid in North Preston. I, it wasn't bad. Um, it was actually really fun because everybody knows each other. <laughs> and um, we're all family, like almost everybody's family. It's like a small town in a city, tucked yeah. away. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. It's interesting to think about it, like in Ellen Page's documentary, I watched that and that's just solely one influence, but just actually talking about the different influences, like outside factors can have on communities and how they actually are able to thrive or grow. Mm-hmm. And like she covered totally like access to water and things like that and how that affects, you know, people's livelihood, their health, their ability to work, all those things. And kind yeah. of can keep you in a down place. Definitely. It's psychologically, like, the effect that can have on you. Um, mm-hmm. When I was in school, I remember 
if I had a crush, <laughs> I would tell them that I'm from Cole Harbor. <laughs> no. And this was like a regular thing <laughs> that would happen with like friends of mine. We'd be like, yeah, we're from here. Like we would never say North Preston because of the stigma attached mm -hmm. to it. And that's how I grew up. And then I grew up with, oh, mental health. That's stigma too. Uh, so it was like these things piled up on top of each other. And so I just feel like I need to just fight against those stereotypes and show people, no, it's not what you think it is. In, in this way of not being condescending and not like treating people like they mean harm. I understand that there are people who have certain thoughts about the community because that's what they were taught. In my mind, I'm not thinking, oh, you're a terrible person. I, mm. I just want to sit down and have a conversation. And we don't even have to talk about the community. Let's just have a conversation. <laughs> and mm -hmm. chances are, you'll be like, oh, this is North Preston? Like, this person that I was talking to who really cares about me and is actually a good person. And like, and that's really the meaning to all of this stuff that I do, like with the talking about mental health and the filmmaking, like with um, the projects that I do, it's just showing up and having compassion. Mm -hmm. And well, it's so important too, because like you said, you grew up in that community, which you said right away, you've got a stigma attached to you and you've got mental health um, issues that you kind of deal through. It's a, like, there's other people like you. So it's incredible that you're actually mm -hmm. taking the time to become or voice what people may not be strong enough to express. Yeah. Pave the way. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> going to be awesome and so brave of you to talk about and share all these things with, with all of us. I have a pure curiosity question. <laughs> How are you working with Ellen Page on the documentary? She's, um, she's a mentor and she's just very like extremely passionate and gives really good guidance. When we met, it wasn't what I was expecting. And um, yeah, it was just really interesting. She just really cared about what I had to say. And I'm an Ellen Page fan. Like I love Juno, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm meeting this amazing celebrity. And she was telling me how she's such a fan of me and such a fan of people who do good work in the community and um it was just it just felt so right um to even have her in my corner and to know that i can just reach out to her and say oh i'm stuck on this part of my film and i feel like i don't know what to do and she can respond and <laughs> just be there for me it feels really good I mean, that's like just super badass that she's your mentor. 
like think Thank about you. and the world of who mentors could be congratulations Tyler. You. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you won a jackpot <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love that you also in the last few days and weeks have been very busy while in isolation and you launched a new project just a few days ago I did <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah my therapist tells me that I should not work so much <laughs> so I'm working on it but I uh <laughs> you're working I, hard on it <laughs> I'm working hard on not working I'm trying my best um but I just I've been doing a lot of like reading on stoicism more lately and stuff and um just thinking about how much meditation means to me and I really want to share with the world like how much that means to me and I realized the way that I want to do it is by creating um stillness is key it's um this new thing that I started and um I'm doing these guided meditations I already have a bunch of guided meditations that I created I just have to locate them on my hair drive <laughs> and um going to be sharing a lot of those on, um, I'm calling it the stillness project and just helping people meditate and I'm not gonna be like charging people for it or anything I'm just putting it up on the website and they can listen um, I listened to two today and I friggin love them oh thank you they're so good and I have to say like even as someone who meditates a ton the last and I typically meditate in pure silence, but the last two weeks I've started to do a few guided meditations and it's a really nice kind of switch up at this time to just actually take myself out of the space I would normally be in and like let someone else bring me into a new space or a new kind of concept, which is I'm enjoying them. I recommend them. See, I need the guided meditations because I think when you're starting, you kind of need the, the coach. They're good to start. Yeah. Try Tyler's. They're dope. The I'm going to. I was. I saw those on his website. I'm gonna. I'm gonna dive into those. I'm so happy that you like them. Oh, I. I like. And the music in them is great. Like I was. Oh, I love music. I was also just listening to them in the background as I work because it was so soothing. Oh, well, that's amazing. You know, the last few days I've put on. I think it's Amazon's like Calm Spa or meditation channel. Just listening to mm. them music all day while I'm working. It just makes me feel happier the little chimes and the rain yeah as we've been talking all night too i keep like i almost lit it on fire quite oh. um greatly my because <laughs> there's something about like smells i find when i'm coming out of sitting still or meditating that as soon as i smell those smells or any oils like i feel like i don't know it just makes me so happy does I anyone know. else feel that way i do yes okay. <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah Brings you to such a blissful place. The Zen state. The Zen. Yes. I freaking love this. Tyler, this has been absolutely awesome to have you here. Uh, time is just flying as we're talking about these things. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us this evening? Thank you so much for having me. Um, well, <laughs> what I do want to include is that I have a. Um, okay, so I'm doing the theater 
play. Um, yes, that, tell us about your theater play. Okay, the theater play. That is, I got casted in that uh, a few months ago. It's my first ever theater play. Um, have, you, have you acted before? I have in my own stuff. <laughs> and I didn't consider myself as an actor. Um, when I met Ellen Page, she actually said to me, you're, an, you're a brilliant actor. And I was like, I don't believe you. <laughs> but um, she seemed pretty convincing. And it actually pushed me to be a part of this theater play too. And um, I'm just respecting the craft of acting so much more now too. Um, it's just really cool. Um, it's a play that is about um, a woman who who is dealing with psychosis inside of a um, mental institution and she was having suicidal thoughts and she was really frustrated. She was pretty angry. She, um, it's really interesting. <laughs> I'll just say that. And she um, was a really powerful, really powerful person and powerful writer. And even the way that the script is, the um, playwright is written, it's, it's so different. Um, it was almost like she was oozing with creativity. And as soon as I read it, I was like, I need to be a part of this. And so that's happening this year because of COVID. I'm not sure exactly when, but we did get, um, we did get into like the Fringe Festival and- So cool. Maybe a few more. I haven't spoken to the producers in a while, but- um, yeah, so that's happening. And then with my own performance art piece, Stripped, I'm doing that this year as well. And um, that got accepted into a Prismatic Arts Festival. And I haven't submitted it into any other ones yet, but hopefully I will be. And that is actually just me talking about my thoughts on <clears throat> Mother Nature and relating it to femininity. <laughs> and then, yes, so I'm like- Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like everything I love. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote this really, it stems from this really long poem that I wrote about it. And I was like, oh, I need to turn this into an actual performance because I'm learning these movements, these contemporary movements. I'm learning how to become a better actor and these things. So, yeah. Oh my God. We're going to have to have you back on later this year to talk about your kind of explorations into becoming an actor. Cause I feel like we all feel like acting's natural and I'm, and I think it's absolutely not. No, <laughs> it's definitely not. You'll have to enlighten us on your adventure through that. I definitely will. <laughs> and also keep us posted when things start coming back to normal and you're able to perform because I want to come see both of these shows. Absolutely. Oh, that would be great. I will definitely keep you posted. <laughs> That'll be awesome. We'll let everyone know. Now it is time for one of our favorite parts of the, the show, most Tyler. Furious part of the entire talk. Very serious. 
we, <laughs> we play a game. <laughs> Amazing. It's called Westygrams. If we were in person, we would have these beautiful little cards of with Westies, the West Highland Terrier dogs. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you could pick a cute one. However, we are remote, so we're going to play Westygrams virtually. Okay. <laughs> so it's very simple. You pick a number between 1 and 85, and then I'll ask you a question, and we'll all pick a number and go around in a circle. Okay. So you get to start. Between 1 and 85. 21. 21. What do we got? What is your favorite five-cent candy? Hard-hitting questions. (laughs) (laughs) Tough. (laughs) Five-cent candies? Um, Yeah. I think gummy worms. Are those like five-cent candies? I think so. Yes. I I mean, they might not be five cents anymore, but when we are all... All younger they were. Definitely. <laughs> oh, I love that. Ashley, what's your favorite five cent candy? We've always we uh, always do this. I, I like sour patch kids. I also like the gummy worms. Oh. I mean I like every oh I God. do like sour patch kids too. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Or any of the marshmallow type um candies. I like those. Um, All right, Ash. I'm gonna do number eighty and that question is beach or pool i know what you're gonna say i'm gonna say a beach but i will say there's things i do like about a pool i like that you can jump off a diving board repeatedly Mm. i'm a big fan of that one um but totally the beach salt water get me in there Mm. what about you guys i love the beach i love the beach i do i grew up having a pool so i do love having a pool but I, I I love being more in like the natural water, I guess, than a chemical filled water. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been in many pools. <laughs> I just go to the beach. Beach it is. The sounds a, and the you're waves. not missing it anything. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say a nice like eighty five degree temperature pool is not oh, bad yeah. <laughs> when the ocean's like five degrees. Yeah. yeah. Nova Scotia problem. <laughs> I love that. Well, Tyler, thank you so, so, so much for coming on and talking to us tonight. This was frigging awesome. We loved having you. Thank you so much. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We love hearing from you. So please let us know what you think. You can email us at rivalandqueen at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. You can find us on all social handles at rivalandqueen. Thanks, guys.